he's just like laying in his own blood. The blood was so bad it actually stained the concrete. They tried to get it out and couldn't get it out. Well, he was unconscious. He actually had to be taken to the main hospital at Guantanamo, where he stayed for about 48, 48 hours. Brandon Neely is a former U.S. military police officer who served as a guard at Guantanamo Bay for six months in 2002. Brandon hadn't planned on enlisting, even though he came from a military family as his father retired as a master sergeant in the Army, but decided to do so in order to do something positive with his life. Brandon escorted the second prisoner off the bus and into his cell. first incident at Guantanamo, Camp actually, January 11, 2002, was, was me. The first physical incident that ever happened, assault, whatever you want to call it, was me. We get this detainee, and me and my escorting partner, we take him to Alpha Block. We get him inside the cage. Um, we start to take, we take his handcuffs off, and we tell him to get on his knees, and we go to take his leg irons off. And when he does, when we start to take his leg irons off, he jerks. And we start yelling. I start yelling, hey, quit moving, quit moving. And the, and the interpreter is saying something to him, whether... He understands or not, I, mean, I didn't know at the time. So, like, the third time, he kind of flinches, and when he did flinch, I just slammed him to the ground. And every time he tried to get up, I just kept constantly trying to – constantly slamming his head into the concrete. Well, they called a code red, which was, like, an emergency at the time, to Alpha Block. So, the internal reaction force, the five-man team come in there, they pull me out, and they haul out the guy, and just and just see this laser for the rest of the ship, you know, like, four or five hours, haul tied. And come to find out, the guy thought he was going to be executed because – when he placed him on his knees, he couldn't see. I guess wherever he was from, he had seen family members or friends or, or people executed in that manner. And the interpreter didn't speak the same dialect of Arabic as he did, so he didn't understand what he was saying either. And after that incident happened, you know, like people were, like, coming up to me, like, hey, man, you know, good job. You, you, you got some, you know, because everybody was out for the revenge at this time. Brandon was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas on September 11, 2001, just a few months before heading to Guantanamo, so his outlook on his duties were very much sensitive to the timing of these attacks. I never felt real good about it because the next day, a couple days later when I saw him, you know, all the left side of his face was all scraped up and stuff. And hearing on top of that exactly what happened and what was going through his head, you know, it just, you know, kind of, kind of, felt, kind of felt bad for that, for that whole incident. There's this five-man extraction team. Where's like this full body armor and the carrier riot shield got called on the radio to Bravo block. It's just a bunch of chain fences with cages. They look like doll kennels is what they are. Um, this detainee supposedly had a curse at this female guard. So they were going to open up the door and they were going to take his personal gear out, like a mat and his blanket and stuff like that. So they go up to the cage door and they instruct the detainee to turn around and put his hands on his head and get on his knees. Well, he, they didn't have an interpreter with him, so he didn't. He kind of looked at him and didn't understand what they were saying. So as soon as they unlocked the cage door, he turned around, got on his knees, and put his head, his hands on his head. And they just pulverized this guy. Like, they just, they beat, they beat the hell out of him. He's hogtied, and they start screaming at this female guard, this female MP, that he had supposedly cussed at. And they tell her to come inside the, inside the cage. And they tell her to hit him. So she hits him twice. She stands up and she walks out. When they stand up, I can see he's just like laying in his own blood. When he was released many years later, he, when he went back to Saudi Arabia, he actually had to have surgery 
on his midsection and his nose from that attack that day. That moment was like, wow, this is not right. Innocent or guilty, there's still a line of the way you treat people, and, and this isn't right. This is the moment when Brandon decided to speak out publicly, regardless of the NDA he had signed prior to taking on his position at the prison. He contacted a group at UC Davis who ran the Guantanamo Testimonials Project and shared some stories from what he had witnessed. They were giving two to three times the normal doses malaria pills to these guys, kind of like it's test dummies. But there's no malaria in Cuba. They would chain him to the fence and like shove it down the throat. And then there's a story of Joseph Hickman, who was on guard duty the night that they say three detainees committed suicide, but him and other guards have testified that those detainees weren't even on the block that night, that they were actually taken by the CIA to Camp No, which nobody knew at the time was a CIA black site. One of the detainees that supposedly committed suicide that night, he was cleared for release and was actually going to go home. So why would he commit suicide? These are just a few of the stories that Brandon shared with the Guantanamo Testimonials Project. This led to several media outlets reaching out to him, including MSNBC, where he was a guest on The Rachel Maddow Show, and then the BBC, who filmed a piece on him traveling to London to be reintroduced to two of the prisoners, Shafiq Razul and Rahul Ahmed, who were imprisoned when he was there as an active guard. It was weird to see this guy who spoke English just as well as I did, and what we had in common, which is the funny thing, is was music. So, like, we're sitting on Alpha Block, and we're talking about, like, Eminem and Dr. Dre. And he's, like, rapping. And, it, you know, it was funny. He's talking about girls and going out to the club. I'm like, man, this is what I was doing just a few months ago. And I kept thinking, like, why the hell is this guy in here? Like, but there's no way we just went lock up innocent people for no reason, right? Well, Shafiq, who's a big detainee, like, he was just a very, like, broad, muscular guy. He stood out. They were released, and, um, you know, years later... I got in contact with Shafiq on Facebook of all places. And then uh, we exchanged messages and went to London and met up with those guys. And man, that's been years ago and still to this day that we still talk off and on, you know, through text or Facebook or Skype or, and stuff like that. So when I went to London and uh, after all that, like I actually, you know, those guys are like two lifelong friends that I actually made. And, you know, now we share pictures of the kids and everything. So. It was nerve-wracking, man. Like, um, nobody knew what was going to go on, like, whether how they were going to react or what I was going to say. And, yeah, when I walked in, was the first time we had seen each other since Guantanamo. That was the first time. And they were like, hey, I, they were talking about my hat. Like, I remember how you used to wear this hat. You look different without your hat on. And I came back with a smart remark, like, well, you look a lot different about the orange jumpsuit. And oh, that was, like, the first two lines we ever spoke to each other, and I kind of, like, broke the ice. But I've always said, like, I don't know if I was in the same situation as those guys and the roles were reversed. I mean, could I do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, you think about it, like, I'm the guy that, like, put these guys in these cages all those years. No, you know, for the six months I was there and, like, put them in there, took them out, locked them up. And, you know, like, I took part in their their imprisonment. But then for them to tell me that I need to make pieces of what happened and move on and, you know, like, I don't know if I could have done that, like, if I was in a situation. I mean, it takes a lot to actually – one, meet somebody that's done that to you and then, mm -hmm. to, you know, really become friends with them because, we're like, we're still friends to this day. Since his time as a guard at Guantanamo, Brandon has reflected on some of the things that made him realize how his perspective of the situation at the infamous prison has changed over time. During my time at Guantanamo, um, you know, I, I went with the mindset of, you know, 9-11 just happened. I was upset as anybody else. Uh, I thought people needed 
you know, payback. I thought we need revenge. I thought, you know, we were doing the right thing. And I went there thinking that. And by the time I left there, I still wasn't sure if everybody over there was guilty or innocent, but I was still the mindset most of those people had to be guilty of something, and we just wouldn't lock up innocent people for no reason. Guantanamo and being in Iraq really never never really sunk into me until, like, a few years later. Um, I think it probably was when I came back from Iraq in 2004 that when I came back with a different outlook on what was going on in the world. Because I never was really political growing up, didn't really care about what was going on in the government. I didn't, you know... I grew up a very, like, I always called my dad a Reagan Republican, like, very, very right wing. So I was always told, you know, you always vote Republican because they always give the military raises and Democrats want to take it away. So that's the way I was raised. So I never mm-hmm. thought twice about it. But then going to Iraq, going to Guantanamo and seeing and doing what I took part in, I left there like, man, this doesn't really set right. Like, and then when Iraq happened and you're told one thing and you come to find out it's kind of not, it's, it's not the truth. I was like, whoa, whoa, what is going on here? So then when I came back in 2004, I was set on getting out of the military when my, my year was up. And then that's really when I got into, you know, following up with what was going on at Guantanamo and stuff like that. But I think Guantanamo really opened my eyes to, like, uh, like people. Like, you know, there's so many different people in the world. And I just because they're from this part of the world doesn't mean they're not like you. Because I grew up in a very small town in Texas. There's not a lot of different people you know you don't see muslims or you know other people it's just you know country people that's all you see so i didn't grow up around that so that really opened my eyes to to the world to 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 accepting other people because people i I was so struck like i'm not a real religious guy but these guys every day at guantanamo five times a day they would pray you know a lot of times they couldn't even see each other but they were all in sync I used to think to myself, man, that takes a lot of discipline to do this every day, five days, five times a day, and be on the same page. It was just, it was kind of, uh, it was shocking. I couldn't, you know, the discipline, it was just really surprised at how seriously it was taken, but that's their culture, and, and it opened my eyes to other cultures. But I spoke out because I thought, one, people needed to know the truth, but most importantly, all these detainees were getting released, and nobody wanted to listen to their stories, and they were telling stories that I was involved in or situations that I had seen, and I wanted people to know what they were saying was the truth. So I wanted to give, and hopefully help some of these guys actually find some peace, maybe help them try to move on with their lives. So that, that's the main reason I actually spoke out. Brandon has since gone on to be actively engaged with groups like Iraq Veterans Against the War, where he speaks publicly about the inhumane mistreatments of the inmates at Guantanamo Bay. Since then, dozens of others have spoken out, and the pressure that it's placing on lawmakers regarding the prison has continued to get heavier. Whatever one might think about Brandon breaking his agreement with the military and going public with this, it's not a stretch to think that when human beings are being mistreated, namely by our own government, that the public has a right to know and that we should work towards a more civil means of engagement as to be a part of setting a positive moral compass in the world.